So question for you, how many of you maybe like me this week had the songs to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood stuck in your head all week long? Um, all week long, I was singing the theme songs to Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. If you weren't here last week, by the way, you should check out the sermon online. We had a great Mr. Rogers impersonation. Um, but be warned, you will be singing the tune all week. Um, but you know, there, there are several urban legends about Fred Rogers, about Mr. Rogers, and you're probably familiar with them. Uh, but there were several different theories, conspiracy theories, rumors that developed about this particular man, Fred Rogers. I mean, there were theories, conspiracy theories that thought that, um, you know, he was a sniper in the military. Uh, there were conspiracy theories about, you know, the reason he always wore long sleeves is because he was tattooed up and he had tattoos for every kill that he had in the military. Um, there were conspiracy theories about Fred Rogers, about um, he was a convicted convict, or a convicted felon, and just absurd ideas about this man, Fred Rogers. And as I began to think about that, the question is why? Why would so many weird theories emerge about this man? And I can't prove this, but the reason I think that all of these rumors and conspiracy theories circulated about Fred Rogers is because this guy was so remarkable. He truly reached an entire generation of people through simple storytelling. And yet the world had no idea what to do with him. The world had no idea what to do with this guy who loved little children through television. The world had no idea what to do with this man that people were so enamored with, so they came up with all these crazy reasons to try to explain why he was significant. But conspiracy theories aside, the reason why Fred Rogers was so significant, the truth, is because he was a Christian. One of the true rumors that circulated about Fred Rogers is that he was a Presbyterian minister. And he was motivated by his love for Christ to love little kids. And that's what made Fred Rogers so significant. I think God used this man in a profound way to reach an entire generation of kids. But the world couldn't explain that. So they came up with all these crazy theories about why he was so special. My point is that when God uses a person, when God does something significant, often the world has to come up with some quote-unquote rational solution. <laughs> because the world denies the possibility of the supernatural, they have to come up with some sort of rational explanation for supernatural events. And I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 28 as we really take a look at the most supernatural event in all of human history. An event that, as we'll see here in the passage, the world has to come up with a conspiracy in order to explain. When our Lord, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we see here in Matthew 28 a conspiracy that develops in order to try to explain it away. Number one, two, and three on your outline there as we're going to break down this passage this morning. Number one is we're going to take a look at the conspiracy. 
The conspiracy that emerges after the resurrection of Jesus. Then number two, we're gonna take a look at the commissioning that's gonna overcome that conspiracy. The commissioning of Jesus that is gonna overcome the conspiracy that developed. And then number three, we'll talk about the application. Number one on your outline first is we're gonna see the conspiracy. But before you, we, we go there, I just wanna read verses one through 10. We're not gonna look at Matthew 28, one through 10 in detail today. We'll look at it uh, when we hit Easter. But I just wanna read verses one through 10 just to set the context here. Matthew 28, verse one says this. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said, come. See the place where he was laying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And then notice the women. Verse eight, they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to the disciples and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Again, this is the most significant event in all of human history. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, this resurrection of Jesus is going to ultimately change the entire world. It's the most supernatural thing that we can even Imagine that someone who dies comes back to life, that he dies on the cross and pays for our sin and he gives to us as a gift eternal life. I mean, this is the most incredible news you or I have ever heard. But what I want us to focus on is what happens next. The conspiracy that develops in order to try to suppress this truth, to explain away the truth of the resurrection. Notice verse 11. Here we see the conspiracy beginning. Now, while they, that is the women, were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Let's pause right there. So as the women are running to tell the male disciples that Jesus indeed has risen from the dead, notice that another group of people is on the move as well. That as the women are running to find the disciples, another group of people is moving quickly to counteract that truth. Here's some of the soldiers, some of the guard. They came into the city and notice they reported to the chief priests, the religious leaders, all that had happened. And so while one group is running to spread the truth, Another group is running to spread lies. Let's take a look at verse 12. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, 
You are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. So here the conspiracy theory begins. Here the the lie that's going to spread begins. And notice here the group assembles together. They devise this plan and a large sum of money is given over. This fabricated lie begins that the disciples of Jesus came and stole the body of Jesus away while the soldiers were asleep. By the way, for Roman soldiers to fall asleep while they're on guard was a severe crime. In fact, there's many things here in this lie that are simply unbelievable. I mean, think about this. If the guards had been asleep, then how would they have known that it was the disciples who came to steal the body away? Or think about this. If one of them was awake, then why didn't he sound an alarm? Or think about the disciples, right? I mean, these guys were filled with fear. What are the chances that a group of fearful disciples would suddenly muster up the courage to march upon an armed Roman guard in order to steal away the body? See, the lie just doesn't add up. The lie just doesn't add up. But this is the conspiracy. And notice what happens, verse 15. People actually believe this lie. Verse 15 says, they took the money and did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. When Matthew writes this gospel, this lie, this conspiracy theory was still spreading. People, despite all of the holes in the story, all of the the, the facts that simply don't add up, people still believed it. This was the conspiracy that developed. We see the conspiracy here of the religious leaders and the Roman guards. You can almost visualize their panic and their deceit. They were confronted with the truth, but they had to come up with a lie to try to explain away the supernatural. Because every time the world is confronted with something supernatural, we have to find, again, a quote-unquote rational explanation for it. And this is what they're attempting to do here. So this is the conspiracy. Number two on your outline, we're going to see the commissioning. The commissioning. Let me read for you. I'm just going to read in its entirety, verses 16 through 20. Notice the contrast with the 11 disciples, verse 16, proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, or literally all the days, even to the end of the age. Before we jump into the details, notice the contrast here between these sections. Under the conspiracy, 
money was used in order to commission these soldiers to spread this lie, this conspiracy theory. But here, Jesus uses his own authority, his power, and his presence in order to commission his disciples to spread the truth. There's a conspiracy, but now there's a commissioning. Let's look at the details again. Verse 16 and 17, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, that's up in the north, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And so after the resurrection of Jesus, uh, Jesus begins meeting with his disciples. We know when we look at the other gospels that this was not the only time, this was not the first time that Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. Uh, But Matthew here focuses on this meeting in the north in Galilee, and he says that when Jesus met his disciples, verse 17, they saw him and they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. But some were doubtful. The word here, by the way, for doubtful, obviously can mean doubtful. It can also have a little uh, slightly softer tones. It can also mean just to be a little uncertain or to be a little hesitant. And whether the disciples doubted completely or were just hesitant or wasn't quite sure what to think, I think there's an encouragement in here for you and for me, because every single one of us, we've wrestled with doubt or hesitation in our life. In our walk with Christ, every single person has struggled a little bit, at least, with doubt, a little bit with hesitation, especially as we think about this commissioning we're talking about here. We're, we're, we're scared. We're a little intimidated. There's a little hesitation within us. Doubt or hesitation is a universal experience for every follower of Christ. But what we're going to see next is that God gives us, Jesus gives us the promise of his presence to overcome that doubt. When we realize that we're doing this not in our own power, but in his power and authority, It's meant to give us a little bit of comfort. And listen, I want to pause for just a second and say this. Uh, For everybody in this room, for those of you watching online, um, that Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, overcomes all of our sin, even doubt. That if you've wrestled with your faith, if you've really asked some hard questions and even fallen into periods of doubt, um, what I want you to hear me say this morning is that Jesus' death covers even that. That there's uh, no doubt, there's no sin, there's nothing so great we can do that will overcome his grace, his love, and his mercy. And again, I want to offer you the invitation here in this room or watching online that you've never really considered the claims of Jesus. What the scripture says about him, this event of his death and resurrection and the forgiveness he offers to you, if you've never really stopped to consider that, I want to invite you to put your faith in him. uh, To believe that on the cross he bears, bore the, the penalty of your sin. But in his resurrection, he offers to you new life and eternal life. Starting in verse 18, we really come to what I think is the emphasis and really the point that Matthew has been building towards for his entire gospel. 
we come to this section that's often called the Great Commission. Let me read these verses for you again. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the days, even to the end of the age. So here in in their time of worship and doubt, this kind of mixed emotion that the disciples uh, have, notice what Jesus says to them. The Great Commission, as it's often called here. Jesus comes to his disciples and he claims all authority in heaven and on earth. And if you were to start in Matthew chapter 1 and you were to trace that word authority all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, authority is a major key word in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see overwhelming evidence that Jesus has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over sickness and disease. And now as we come all the way to the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, we see that Jesus has authority over sin and over death itself. And so Jesus here makes this tremendous claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And we've seen it on display throughout the entire gospel of Matthew. The authority of Jesus is just overwhelming in this gospel. And it's Jesus' authority that then becomes the foundation of his command, of his charge, of his commission. Notice again verse 19. Based on the authority of Jesus, the resurrected authority of Jesus, the authority over all heaven and earth, Jesus says to his disciples, he commands to them, go therefore and make disciples, and notice the repetition of all. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the days, even to the end of the age. All authority, all nations, all the things I've commanded you, and I'm with you all the days. You see the point in Jesus' words here? Because all authority has been given to him, Because he has authority over all things in heaven and earth, Jesus' disciples should therefore go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to notice, by the way, that Jesus' charge here, based on his authority over all things, he says, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples, followers of Christ. We've been talking for weeks about uh, being image bearers of God, and that's Kind of what Jesus is saying here. Disciples are really image bearers of Jesus. We're living, breathing, walking, talking reflections of who Jesus is. To be a disciple is to be a learner in the school of Jesus. It's a lifelong pursuit of him. 
And notice the means by which we make disciples. Jesus emphasizes here two things, baptizing and teaching. Baptizing and teaching are the means by which we make disciples. Baptism is a one-time event. Teaching is a lifelong event, a process. Baptism, Jesus says, this is, I think he's referring to water baptism, but this is publicly identifying a person as a follower of Jesus. And like was mentioned in the announcements, we have a, a baptism celebration upcoming in a couple of weeks. If you're interested in being baptized, if you've never made that public profession of faith, uh, that you want to follow Jesus for the rest of your life, all the days, uh, then I'd encourage you to sign up. You can contact Jeff Sherwood, Jeff at gracebiblechurch.org, and, and we will be happy to celebrate uh, that monumental day with you. Baptism is one of the ways Jesus, uh, things Jesus mentions here. The second one is teaching. Again, baptism is a one-time event. Teaching is a lifetime process as we continue to hear about and learn about the teachings of Jesus and really the teachings throughout Scripture of what God really desires for us as his people, and we're continually learning about that. And again, this is what the mission of Grace Bible Church is about. We come together each Sunday to get equipped with the truth of God's word. So we can go out throughout the week, all the days, and engage one another, be these disciples of Jesus on the move, and then we come back together every weekend and exalt God for who he is and what he's doing. This is what this whole process is about. So Jesus says, listen, based on all the authority that I have, I'm charging you, I'm commissioning you to go and make other disciples of Jesus of all the nations as you baptize them, as you teach them everything I commanded you. And then notice how he ends this commission, this charge, this command. Jesus says at the end of verse 20, and lo, I am with you always, or literally all the days, even to the end of the age. Because being sent out as disciples of Jesus can be somewhat intimidating because we may wrestle with, like the disciples here, those times of doubt or hesitation or fear. Jesus gives us the comforting assurance of his presence with us, and he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus ends this charge, this commission, this command with a promise of his presence, and there's meant to be great comfort in these words. And by the way, as you keep reading in the New Testament, as you turn into the book of Acts and you read all the Pauline epistles and you see ultimately how this story continues to play out and then even into church history, we see uh, disciples of Jesus continually going out throughout all of the world and this message of Jesus' resurrection, this movement of Jesus continues and continues and continues and continues even here at Grace Bible Church today. Uh, the reason we're here is because the disciples of Jesus nearly 2,000 years ago obeyed this command, took this commissioning seriously to spread the message of Jesus to literally the ends of the earth. This is an incredible thing that we see here. You know, all week long, um, I continue to get feedback from last week's message uh, with the whole Mr. Rogers neighborhood thing. And many of you, even people here this morning, asked me, okay, what are you going to do this week to top that? Right? Uh, how do you top Mr. Rogers? Um, 
Somebody gave me the idea of maybe Mission Impossible and, and maybe I could lower in from the stage on a little uh, wire or something and kind of descend upon the pulpit or something, but I didn't think that would fit because what Jesus is laying out here, this is not Mission Impossible. This is Mission Guaranteed. There's nothing that's gonna stop this movement of Jesus. This is a guaranteed victory. The only question we have to ask is are we gonna take part in it? Are we individually gonna join and partner with the millions of disciples of Jesus in history, past and present, who have taken up this charge, this commission to take the gospel to the nations? Again, as you keep reading in the New Testament or in church history, the truth of Jesus' resurrection spreads and spreads. And the commissioning here overwhelms the lie in the conspiracy. That this conspiracy theory that developed nearly 2,000 years ago had no chance to overcome the truth of the resurrection. There was no stopping this worldwide movement of Jesus. And again, we see it alive and well even today. Last week after the service, as you know, we had the pie in the face fundraiser as we were raising money for our student ministry to go out on several mission trips this summer. And we had the audacious goal of raising $12,000. And I'm happy to report that they raised $20,631.48. It's incredible. Nothing is going to stop this movement of Jesus from continuing to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see that the conspiracy is overcome by the commissioning. So let's take a look at number three on your outline, the application. As we realize that even today, this conspiracy trying to cover up the truth of Jesus' resurrection is overwhelmed by, overcome by the commissioning of more and more disciples of Jesus spreading out over the ends of the earth. How do we make application of this? How do we make application of this passage? I think we see here in Matthew chapter 28, that this idea of a conspiracy really frames the passage. Because at the end of Matthew chapter 28, it really does raise the question, are you and I gonna take part in the conspiracy? Or are we gonna take part in the commissioning? Are we gonna take part in the conspiracy or are we going to take part in the commissioning? And listen, I don't think, I'm not saying that we deny the resurrection. But I want to offer to you that perhaps, sometimes the way we live, we deny the implications of the resurrection. Because if what Jesus is saying here is really true, if Jesus really did, as we read here, rise from the dead, then that changes everything. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then as he says here, he has authority over everything. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then he has authority over me. And so when he tells his disciples, go and make disciples, this isn't a suggestion. 
It's not a request, it's a command. It's commissioning. And I think that a conspiracy exists today that softens the commissioning, that softens the command into what has been called the great suggestion. The great suggestion. That we've reduced Jesus' charge, his commission, to just something we do if we feel like it. Or we think that the charge to make disciples is reserved only for the elite, for those who are called overseas, kind of these weird group of people who, you know, spread to the ends of the earth. Weird people, by the way, that are going to be here next week, to, to, so be nice to them. Um, but we've reduced the Great Commission to a great suggestion. And my charge, my hope for you this morning is to don't buy into that conspiracy. God may not call you overseas. He might, so get ready. But make no mistake about it, what Jesus says here, we are all called. We are all commanded. We are all commissioned to make disciples. And this church, Grace Bible Church, has had an incredibly rich history in missions. It was formed by a group of people in 1954 who were captivated by the beauty of God's grace for a love for his word and by a desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The question for you and I today, not in 1954, but the question for you and I today is do we buy into the conspiracy or do we take part in the commissioning? Do we see ourselves as players in this mission of Jesus to spread his fame, his glory, his gospel to the ends of the earth? And listen, right now, as I'm speaking, I think God is doing something absolutely incredible. That right now, as I'm speaking, people from all nations are coming to our nation. And this is not meant to be a political statement. Forget all of that. The reality is people are coming to our country right now and we have no access to their countries or it's next to impossible for Christians to get in with the gospel to them. And so God is bringing them to us. The question is, what are we gonna do with it? I saw a study back in 2000 that in 2000, 50% of the world's population lived in cities. And that number has only increased in the last 22 years. That a worldwide movement is happening of people coming to cities like Dallas and then look around, housing prices are crazy, traffic is insane, and more and more people from all over the earth God is bringing to Dallas, Texas. The question is, do we fall into the conspiracy or do we take part in the commission? Do we live as though Jesus' words are just a suggestion for us? Or do we see ourselves as part of a bigger story? Because what we're reminded of here in Matthew chapter 28 is that Jesus, the one who has been given authority over all things, even all things today, Jesus, the one who demonstrates his authority over sickness and disease, over the wind and the waves, over sin and even death itself. Jesus, the one who has authority over my life and your life, he commands us to make disciples. 
And for 2,000 years, Christians have obeyed this commission. Some have died. Many have suffered. But for everyone, it was worth it. It's not a conspiracy. It's not a suggestion. It's a commission. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or a working mom, whether you're a working dad or a retiree, a college student or in our student ministry, all of us are included. There on your outline, I've given you some application questions for this week, and I want to highlight um, your last application question is what might obedience to the Great Commission look like for a stay-at-home mom, for a working mom, a working dad, retiree, a student, or youth? I want you to think about how God might be inviting you in whatever stage of life you find yourself in right now. How might God be inviting you to take part in this commission, to make disciples? But your one thing for this week is to come to the special missions conference uh, next weekend and perhaps God might use that to lay something on your heart. Listen, uh, Fred Rogers wasn't a sniper. Um, He didn't have full sleeve tattoos. He wasn't a convict. Uh, Personally, I don't usually buy into many conspiracy theories. I think that sooner or later, the truth always prevails. So don't buy into the conspiracy theory that the resurrection has lost its power. Don't buy into the conspiracy theory that the Great Commission is just a great suggestion. No. We've all been commissioned. We've all been commanded. So let's go. Father, thank you for this charge that has literally changed the world. Uh, Thank you that because of the resurrected power of Jesus, because of the authority of Jesus over all things in heaven and earth, uh, his authority over the wind and the waves, his authority over sickness and disease, his authority over sin and even death itself. And because of his promise that he will be with us always, the promise that uh, even as we wrestle with doubt and fear, and even as uh, we wrestle with these things, the promise of your spirit and of Jesus's presence is with us that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. God, what is holding us back? I pray for each and every person in this room as we think about this charge, this command, this commission, I pray that we would see it as our delight to continue this story this movement of Jesus to literally change the world. God, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here that you would give us faith, that you would give us courage, that you would give us strength. And God, I pray that more and more people from all nations, tongues, tribes, people, groups, would come to know the grace, the mercy, the love of Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.